4: What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio, coming to you from beautiful, sunny Southern California. The Doug Gottlieb Show is available on podcast form, on FoxSportsRadio.com or the iHeartRadio app, wherever you download podcasts, you can listen to us. Tell your friends who have Sirius XM 217 or 203, check their channels. And a reminder Discover matches all the cashback you earn at the end of your first year. It's amazing because Discover is accepted 99% of places in the U.S. to take credit cards. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. Well, now that the Baylor Bears are champs, right? Fox Sports Radio's M Drive Million Dollar Bracket Challenge is now complete. There weren't any perfect brackets, but uh, there were over $1,500 in gift cards that were given out. Aaron Torres won the host bracket by a wide margin because he had Baylor beating Gonzaga in the title game. Be sure to go to foxsportsradio.com. Check out the final standings. It's the M-Drive million-dollar bracket challenge. Refind your prime with M-Drive. Baylor's national champions. Here's their head coach, Scott Drew. God
6: has blessed us with unbelievable players, the people that have come for 18 years to put in work, our fans that have been with us for the lean years, the good years, and administration, President Livingstone, Mac Rhodes, they all deserve this. The city of Waco deserves this. Hey, Texas, we got a national championship too. The state deserves it. All year long, this is what they do. We have a starting rotation, and each night might be someone different, but they've sacrificed for each other all year long. And I've said this, if you're going to be in the bubble for three, four weeks, you better be with people you love and spending time with these guys. 20, 25, 30 years, our coaches' staff will enjoy most spending time with them. They're unbelievable people, great basketball players, better people.
4: That's Scott Drew, who's a national champion as a head coach, and as a as a friend friend of the program he's just, His unbridled enthusiasm, that's not just because they won. That's that's who he is. They ended the undefeated, unblemished mark of Gonzaga. Here's Gonzaga's head coach, Mark Few. Just literally busted us out of anything we could possibly do on offense. And we were kind of playing you
2: know, with our back to the back, you know, not facing up and, and we couldn't get anything generated going to the basket. We were kind of playing sideways. And then at the other end, they, you know, we had no answer as far as keeping some of their guards in front and, and made a couple of mistakes that we t- talked about not doing as far as, as giving them catch and shoot threes or shakedown
4: threes. And they, they made us pay in a hurry. So there you go. I mean, like, look, it was an ass whooping I mean, I could, and it was a surprise to me. I mean, I I'd thought Gonzaga the entire year, I had had plenty of opportunities to add Baylor to that mix. And I had plenty of friends that said, Hey, you know, Baylor's like Gonzaga on offense, only way better on defense. I had plenty of friends who, who warned me. And, and in fairness to my own instinct, I can tell you that as much as I admire, Mark view his staff this team in particular and the culture of Gonzaga it's not one whose culture says hey when things get bad like let's just crank up the defense right that's not my my issue with Gonzaga winning national title up until this year has always been you know if they if they got to beat you at the defensive end can they really do it whereas their their defense for this season against the better teams honestly was, well, we can just score more than you. You're not used to playing at this pace scoring at this level of efficiency. And we can do that better than you can. And you scoring while we don't want you to score. If you score quickly, it kind of hurts you because you're back playing defense as well. That didn't work. Now, What happens is if you tell the true story, people will somehow get offended and think you're taking a shot at Baylor's title. If you you can, that's fine. But if that's the way that you want a sports radio show to go, find a different one. That's it. There's others. They're not as good as this one. They don't tell you the truth to it. And it's not kind of part of the magic of the one game thing, right? Which is, There's a litany of things. I mean, the first thing is I don't know how much better UCLA would have been had they been fresh, but there's no possible way like dialing back up the level of energy that it took to beat UCLA, to beat Baylor and Baylor's a better team by anyone's accounts. They're a better team, probably a better team than Gonzaga, right? They're definitely a better team than UCLA. So to, to try and find that same energy it took to beat UCLA in 45 minutes In the early going last night, it's a tall tale. Tall, tall ask. It's really what it is. Now factor in that Baylor's better. Then you factor in that Jalen Suggs as just a freshman gets sped up, gets two personal fouls. You take him off the court for a substantial portion of the first half of the game. And they were already a mess. Now it becomes super ugly and really hard to come back. And then I don't think Gonzaga guarded him right. You know, you, you leave drew Timmy up there to switch onto ball screens. And what did Baylor do? They're like, okay, that is a matchup with We like, we just run a bunch of offense. And then that's what we want to do. Engage him in a hundred ball screens. And he couldn't guard. He couldn't keep in front. And by the way, it exhausts you on offense. And then defensively they, 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 they were up in him. So was it a winnable game for Gonzaga? I think that there's they they could beat Baylor. I think Baylor's a better team. I think the level of speed and quickness was just it overwhelmed them, and I would like to say, well, hey, that's a, you know, that's a one day one game stat sort of thing, right? That that's the people. Well, it's just one game, and you're 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 not wrong in that it is just one game in terms of the stats. The problem with that is, I mean, I think the biggest problem with it is that if you look at the entirety of what Baylor did this in the NCAA tournament, look at the teams that they played and look at how they played them. Look at exactly what took place. You know, you go game by game and here they are you know, playing against some of the best teams in the country that don't turn it over. Remember Gonzaga and Houston, uh, Gonzaga and Villanova and Wisconsin. Those are a couple of the teams that have the the fewest number of turnovers, fewest number of turnovers, of anybody in the country. Anybody in the country. Right, I mean Villanova and Wisconsin traditionally they average like eight and nine turnovers a game. They had 14 and 16 Gonzaga, a low turnover team, a low turnover team. What, what did they end up having? They end up having 14 turnovers. So I, I think that we can sit here and, and have a reasonable conversation. Say, Hey, UCLA beat Gonzaga a little bit last night. Gonzaga with their game plan, beat Gonzaga. Gonzaga got sped up. They got in early foul trouble, all of those things. Would it have mattered? Yes, it would have mattered. Would it have meant that Gonzaga wins the game? Probably not. Probably not. And, and the other part about it that that's fascinating to me is, you know, Scott drew for a long time, had a reputation of a guy who wasn't a great coach that he had good players and they played a one, three, one zone. and, you know, my experience with Scott is he's one of these guys that's constantly asking for what do you see? What's the suggestion that you have? And then you'll you'll be amazed. He'll put it into play. He'll like use it. You're like, you know what you should do? And then I'll sudden, and turn on the TV and he uses it. But it only shows that Scott Drew knew he had some flaws in his game. Knew it. Knew it, knew it, knew it. And what did he do? He closed up some of those holes in his game by getting better. Baylor's players have gotten better. Their coach has gotten better. And because of it, their program got better. The lessons we learn is fatigue is real. You better have great guards. And if you can't change the game with what you're doing defensively, you probably can't win this whole thing. Go go back and look at the teams that have won the titles. You know, you have Baylor, a great, not good, great defensive and rotation team. Virginia, two years ago, great, not good, great defensive team. Villanova won two titles. Villanova, don't turn it over, great, not good defensive team. Look at those teams and understand why they've done it. And we're, we're, we're taught in sports radio, sports broadcasting, don't use cliches, right? Be original. And you have to find a way to be original. But, you know, sometimes we use cliches because they are, in fact, truth. But when the, when the tough gets, when the going gets tough, the tough do, in fact, get going. And offense may win games. Defense does, in fact, win championships. And as much as we can sit here and go, Gonzaga had trouble guarding Baylor. The biggest thing was they couldn't do anything in terms of beating Baylor off the dribble. Outside of Jalen Suggs, and he's just too inexperienced, and his team was too shook. I thought it was a great and very telling game even though the score was never really close it was it never got to within 8 points or less uh, after the first couple minutes of the game that's it, it was complete and total domination complete and total domination
5: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app
0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
7: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah!
4: T.J. Hushmanzada out joins us. He loves hoop as much as he loves football. He was just a great football player. Uh, how much of the game did you make it through?
8: I watched all the game. I was an interested observer. I thought uh, Gonzaga would uh, make a little rally and make the game close. But, man, that Baylor's defense and the way they're making shots, it made it hard for him.
4: You know, it, it, it's, I, I've seen several tweets about this where it's like, if you coach AAU, right, like, and all of a sudden you go up against a team of dudes that just get up in you, like guys just get overwhelmed. It, 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 you get overwhelmed. And it's interesting that while Gonzaga has played a good schedule year after year and played a good schedule this year, there isn't anybody who looks or plays like Baylor that they've played this year, and they looked overwhelmed by the speed and athleticism, length, and, and skill that Baylor had man, when
8: Gonzaga would run a pick and roll, Baylor would help on the guy rolling and still get back to their guy that they're covering. They're so quick and athletic. Certain reads that were available against other teams for Gonzaga, they just weren't there against Baylor. And so now they don't know what to do because things that had worked all season weren't working yesterday. And that's, Baylor playing great defense. They were active. And Gonzaga, they just couldn't keep up with it.
4: Yep, could not keep up with it. All right, let's get, let's get to some football. If you were drafting third, what would you do in San Francisco?
8: Wow, that's a great question. I would, first off, sounds. I mean, I'm going to give a dumb answer, but I would make sure that I'm drafting the right guy. And that right guy, I mean, you assume, and we all assume it's between Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. One of those three will be drafted. You don't give up what they gave up to draft a non-quarterback. It's just who, which guy. I believe they're split. I believe one side wants Mac Jones, and another side may want Trey Lance or Justin Fields. I don't know who they have ranked higher. I would assume it's Justin Fields, but I've heard it's Trey Lance. And so it's more so Shanahan wants a quarterback that that's mobile. Mac Jones isn't a terrible athlete, he can get outside the pocket and, and make some plays, throwing the ball. It, it's just a tricky situation, man, uh, where they go with this because they pretty much have the pick of the litter after the first two guys, which would be Trevor and Zach. They can't be wrong with this pick.
4: Well, if they're going to keep Garoppolo, uh, Garoppolo and have him be a... You know, a mentor coach for a year doesn't that mean that they go with they don't go with Mac Jones, right? Mac Jones is a ready to play guy. That's his strength.
8: I mean, you think Mac Jones is a ready to play guy, but he hasn't started a ton of games in college. He was just very successful when he did play. He was successful when he did play, but he hasn't started a ton of games. Now, if that premise is correct in what you're saying, of course you go with Trey Lance. He's not. He hasn't started a lot of games. He hasn't thrown more than twenty-five times ever in a college football game, and so. But you look at Justin Fields; he hasn't started a lot of games either. So you can make an argument for all three of them sitting the first year because all of them have started limited games when we're talking college football.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, but but it's a it's a weird thing, right? Where you have a guy who I mean, he's going to try and do the Alex Smith. The, the difference is Alex Smith. You know, hadn't been to a Super Bowl. This guy led in the second half of the Super Bowl. Now he's being told, hey, we want you to try and do the Alex Smith. Do you think they hold on to
8: Garoppolo all year? If they're winning, yeah, they do. Why wouldn't you? The the problem is, I've all, like the 49ers are going to have a pretty good team if they can keep that same energy defensively with Salah not there. If they have a good year, do you really move off of Garoppolo? If he can stay healthy, do you really move off of him? That's the question. The Chiefs moved off Alex Smith because they were good, but they weren't great. The 49ers have potential to be very, very good if Garoppolo can stay healthy because he'll have better weapons offensively. And that's just a situation where it's tricky that are you really going to put yourself in the city? Every team, oh, it's a great situation to be in. It really isn't because now you don't know what to do.
4: It's Doug Gottlieb's show here on Fox Sports Radio. T.J. Zada joining us. Uh, Sam Darnold goes to a different system, different city, and now he's going to get a chance, probably like a two-year chance, uh, to, to make it work. Where are you on Sam Darnold three years into his NFL career?
8: Where everybody else is. It's been a disappointment. But it's been a disappointment because he—who who is he playing with? Look, look, look who he's playing with. No disrespect. I mean, he, This is the best skilled guys he would play with since he was at SC. I mean, you think about that. The best group of skilled guys, you got Christian McCaffrey as a running back. You got D.J. Moore and Robbie Anderson at receivers. That right there is the best group of guys he's had since he's left USC. He's going to light it up. I, I truly believe it. With an innovative offensive coordinator, young dude and Joe Brady that can relate to him, great head coach, I really believe He's gonna surprise a lot of people, and it's gonna really make uh, the Jets like, huh, oh, And Adam, really, it's really not the Jets. It's gonna make Adam Gates look like, why were you ever a head coach? It's gonna look bad for him.
4: Yeah, like I think it's it's great for him. He's got a great running back. <clears throat> they have money to spend. They have draft picks to spend. And and Joe Brady needs to make make it work because he struggled with uh, w- with Teddy Bridgewater. Who Teddy Bridgewater now now on on the market. Um, are you, still a, are you a buyer into Tua after seeing him for a year?
8: I mean, it's tough. He's coming off an injury. Are you really getting better as a quarterback? Are you trying to just get better as a player with the injury and heal that injury? Tua, the, the jury is still out, obviously. Now, obviously the Dolphins believe in him, but the Dolphins are playing this smart. They have so much draft capital in the future If Tua does not pan out this year, they're going to move on. Like, it's no longer uh, the late 90s, early 2000s when I was playing where quarterbacks got so much money up front that they couldn't move off of them. They're moving off of guys a lot quicker. And so for Tua, he better get it. I mean, but when you look at the Dolphins, their skill guys are good, but they're not great either. And so, but Tua, he better make it happen, that's for sure. And he knows that. And so I would hope this offseason he's really immersing himself into the playbook, but he's really understanding defense, understand defense and make sure job a lot easier as a quarterback.
4: TJ Hushman's on our guest, the two-time pro bowlers, the Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox sports radio, as we're getting ready for the upcoming NFL draft. Um, I'll tell you what I'm, I'm fascinated by is the receivers, right? Because, you know, we hadn't had breakthrough rookie wide receivers, and then last year, all of a sudden, you know, most of them play really, really well. And then we're told this year, another great wide receiver draft because they're throwing it more in college. Uh, your first wide receiver you would take, would it be Jalen Waddle? Would it be Jamar Chase? Would it be Devontae Smith? Who would your first wide receiver be?
8: Jamar Chase.
4: Is it even close?
8: No, not, not for me it isn't. The, the the size that he has, and he's not a tall guy, but he's a thick, strong dude. Great strong hands, really good body control, will go up and get that 50-50 ball. Because, I mean, the NFL DBs, you're not getting a ton of separation. I mean, everybody's not Tyreek Hill that just gets a ton of separation. And then you just look at, like, I, I keep going back to the, the season that Justin Jefferson had. And he was basically the number two guy at LSU behind Chase. And so if you give Chase these targets, he's going to make it work. But this is a really, really deep receiver class. I can tell you some guys that aren't even getting talked about that I think can really play. Like who? I'll give you three guys that I think can really play that nobody's talking about. Tutu Atwell from Louisville, Rondell Moore from Purdue, and Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. Those three dudes can really, really play. Nobody's talking about them Everybody talks about the other guys. Those three guys, they're not very big, but they can flat-out play.
4: No, like, uh, Rondell Moore's an interesting one, right? Like, he had that great first year at Purdue, then injuries, and then this year he opted out, then opted back in. They weren't very good. What is he in the NFL?
8: Tyreek Hill has made it uh, easier for the smaller receivers, but Rondell is a lot smaller than Tyreek Hill, but he's really fast. Really quick. And the crazy thing, like when I say he's small, he's just short. And he's really strong. Dude did two twenty five twenty three times at five seven, one eighty, I believe he was. Like that's unheard of. That's unheard,
4: unheard of. of. Unheard of. Uh, what do you think of Cal Pitts?
8: Phenomenal. He was out here with us, Doug, and for his size, he's just a big receiver, man. Six six, two fifty, and moves like a receiver. I mean, very simple matchup nightmare.
4: So can he block?
8: Um, he can cut off. <laughs> Isn't that what the Travis Kelseys of the world do? We just we we cut off. You might be the point of attack sometimes when you can get out on a perimeter and create havoc and match up problems for teams. Um, I just need you to be adequate in your blocking. You don't have to be great. Just be good enough.
4: Are, are you a Zach Wilson guy?
8: Yes. I like him. He throws the ball very well. It's like he was born to play quarterback. But, again, Doug, if you get to a team that doesn't have weapons, if you get to an organization that's dysfunctional, that doesn't it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. And so, hopefully, they've stabilized what's going on in New York. But if they do not, everybody oh, I knew, I knew he was all hyped up. He he was never that good to begin with. That's what everybody's going to say. They're never going to point the finger at the organization. So if they give him some weapons, if he stays with the same weapons that Sam Darnold has, um, it's going to be a problem for him. Simple.
4: Yeah, No, but I mean, they have two other first-round picks. They have to be able to get some more weapons. They have to be able to block for him. It can't can't be the same old thing all over again, can it?
8: If it is, we'll be looking back saying, yeah, what did we miss with Zach? Oh, yeah, he really wasn't. He played at BYU. Yeah, he was. That will be the narrative. And so the quarterbacks get way too much credit when – Things are going well, but they take way too much to blame when things go bad. This is the ultimate team game. Eleven guys, we all have to be on the same page, and we all got to have players next to us that can really help us. If we do not, we're not going to look the way we should look, and that's just the reality when you play football.
4: T.J. Hushmanzada. T.J., plus you can hear him on Up On Game Weekends on Fox Sports Radio. Download that podcast. It's really, really good. Him uh, and Plaxico Burris and, uh, and LeVar Arrington. It's called Up On Game on Fox Sports Radio. You can download that podcast as well. T.J., great stuff, man. Appreciate you joining me.
8: Appreciate it, Doug. Take care, man. Keep up the good work, brother.
4: That's my guy, T.J. Hushmanzada. Up On Game. LeVar Arrington, Plexico Burris, TJ Hussman's Saturdays, 1 to 3 Eastern time. Of course, TJ and Plexico, former star wide receivers and Lavar, former star linebacker in the National Football League.
5: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific.
4: I- I'm a big in-person meeting sort of guy. Now, look, I'm a will text all the time, you know, and I understand that sometimes things that you, you text don't translate well Like get all that. But I'm a big like if if we get close on sales at our company and let's just, just go have dinner, you know, if um, any deal I've ever done in terms of switching companies or new bosses or whatever, like just let's go have a meal. Let's go sit, talk and and be across from each other eye to eye at a table and, and get to know each other. And things work out so much better that way. They just do. You've probably been reading about all these accusations against Deshaun Watson, and rightfully, they're alarming. They're just, it's a lot. But it's really easy if you don't know who's making these accusations to sit there and go like, she's making it up to get money, right? Making it up to get money. Because that's the, why else would somebody make this up about a guy who everybody seems to think is awesome? uh, Seems to think is is awesome. Okay. If that's the case, then we got to see these people. We got to, I just, you know, because what happens is when you say, hey, massage therapist, and he comes over and I don't know what your vision is. You know what's what's your vision? There's a woman named Ashley Solis who is the first accuser, apparently, of Deshaun Watson, and uh, she made a public statement earlier today. She filed a lawsuit against Deshaun and a police report, and this was her her first public statement.
7: I am a survivor of assault and harassment. Deshaun Watson is my assaulter and my harasser. Sean Watson assaulted and harassed me on March 30th, 2020 in my own home, doing what I love most, massage the therapy.
4: Not good. Not, not good. Not good. Right? I mean, all there's, there's nothing, just, you know, brave of a woman to put her name, her face, she'll be on... In every, uh, every, everywhere she goes, she will be, oh, I I know that name from, oh yeah, oh yeah, right? So this is a, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a bold step by her and her attorney and a powerful statement to make as a woman to, in the take, take back control from your alleged assailant. But I'm just I'm I'm trying to be neutral in this thing and go like, "All right, what's what's your possible out?" You know, one of the things that I would defend people and companies on is when they pay people to to have things go away. It it is not it is not an admission of guilt. Does it look bad? Yes, until you start to realize like there's lots of things that people who know you or people, somebody who massage you, whatever, like you just don't want out there. Like even the she signed an NDA before giving him a massage. And while that looks bad and you're like, wow, why would they need an NDA for just a regular massage? Remember, it's Deshaun Watson. And even if he was covered up by a towel the whole time, like there are things that she can say to others that she could make public that... Would be embarrassing towards Deshaun Watson, lots of things. So you sign an NDA because you don't want anything out. And many times, you people will, companies especially, they will or the NFL uh, with with the concussion lawsuit, right? They 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 settled. Why do you settle? Because if you don't, now you go through discovery. We can go through your cell phone. And, and while, while there may not be anything truly incriminating about the alleged incident or whatever, there can be something else in there that you don't want made public. You don't want it to be in discovery. Once it's in discovery and it's filed away, it becomes for public consumption. So I, I this is of all the things that can damage Deshaun Watson the forty plus masseuses is it's a just a bizarre bizarre look. The the accusations which continue to pile up and apparently there's at least twenty two. Those are bad. When you have a woman putting her name and her face on camera and identifying Deshaun Watson as her assailant, that, that's a that's a hard one to come back from. From Amy Dash. Uh, who said this on her Twitter page, Tony buzz, Busby, who's the attorney for, um, for this woman would not say it outright, but he inferred that Deshaun Watson was allegedly trafficking women, a state and federal crime. At least one woman was allegedly flown in from out of state. And that would be interstate trafficking. If allegations are proven to be true. I mean, like, look, best case scenario, best case for Deshaun Watson you walk away with a really, really scarred public image, and people going, "That guy's weird, weird." But clearly, like this is his sort of thing. That's best case scenario. And I, I, I don't know how possible that is. You walk away unscathed once these things start to get public, and once the the police has to really look into it and investigate. And now, now you think, now what? Oof. now what I don't know look I I have no idea what happened I do know that there appears to be a, a a mountain of at least some form of evidence otherwise a guy who's a a very well-known attorney and a bit of an ambulance chaser but just because you chase ambulance we like when you find one that's legit well it's a hard one to and, and now this has become public. This is basically why you write a check for somebody to go away. Because even if none of this is true, it doesn't matter. It's it's all for public consumption now. And obviously, if it's true, like it's hard to figure out a way in which he's going to be in an NFL uniform anytime soon or maybe ever again. Right? Because... Admitting to one means admitting to more than one and being capable of doing. That's really what it is. Are you capable of of a crime against a woman? You know, because I, I think people who want to believe Deshaun Watson want to go like, well, you know, like it's a, was he inferring something? Did she offer something else? When you start to get five, 10, like, you're like, wait, all of these women think this exact, have the exact same story. That's a lot.
9: Hey, I'm John Middlecoff, and I host the Three and
1: Out podcast. Do you like football? Do you like the NFL? Do you like the NFL draft? Quarterbacks? Coaches? Well, I talk about it all on the show. I used to work for Andy
9: Reid as a scout. Now I give you my unfiltered and raw opinions on everything that goes on in the NFL. And you know we're talking college football because of how important the draft is year-round.
4: Listen to the Three and Out podcast with me, John Middlecoff, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Aaron Torres is a friend. He's also a host of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. He covers college basketball. He loves it as much as I do. And uh, he correctly predicted that Baylor would uh, mollywump Gonzaga last night. Is that about right, Aaron?
9: I mean, I picked him to win. I don't think anybody saw last night coming. Um, You know, listen... We can get into all of it. Uh, Baylor's incredible. They're awesome. Their story, as you pointed out last night, not just from when Scott Drew took over, but also just the last year or two has been awesome as they've really evolved into this program. is great. But, no, nobody saw that coming. I don't even think Scott Drew saw it coming. But they were the best team in college basketball, and they proved it last night.
4: How much do you think fatigue from the UCLA game played a factor?
9: You know, it's really interesting, Doug, because that was like a huge thought of mine coming into the game. You know, Arnie Spanier and I were on air when that Jalen Suggs shot went through. And I said to Arnie that night, I said, man, you know, I mean, we know how college kids are, how we all are, you know, emotional moment. They probably didn't get to bed till three, four, five in the morning after that game game ended about 1130 at night. Um, But you know, that that's an excuse early. I I don't think that it's the reason that they lost. And so, I, I, to me, I, I, let me, let me backtrack. I was a little—I I was not surprised that they fell down early. But once it gets to about the middle of the first half, and they're down twenty-nine to twelve or whatever it is, you're like, "Oh, this, this ain't going to get fixed anytime soon." And so, like I said, the better team won. Um, but yeah, no, I was—I was, I was certainly surprised the result in—not—not—not not, not necessarily the result as much as how we got the end result.
4: Yeah, I, I think. Um I think it played a factor. Um I think the two early fouls against Suggs played a factor. I thought yeah. they played uh their their game plan was flawed and that was a factor. And I thought Baylor played really really well and was really sharp and frankly their game was over at halftime. You know, like 6 hours before the Gonzaga game was over. Yeah. So all of those things. Again, I'm I'm with you. I'm not sure it makes much much We're- difference.
9: Real quick, you know, Doug, what, what do you think was was flawed with Gonzaga's game plan? I'm just curious to hear your thoughts.
4: Well, I, I don't think you can. You clearly can't switch ball screens with Drew Chin yeah. Drew Timmy um, sure. and those Baylor players. Uh, you just you can't. I mean, like, Fair. look, this has always been my thing holding me back with Gonzaga from ever picking them to win a national championship before this year. is can, If their offense isn't working, can they beat you with their defense? And their answer has never been yes, ever. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of the things that you know Carolina has had years where they've had a great team that's come up short because they just can't outscore you. But but Carolina at least is able to beat you at times. You know the, the last national championship was on the boards. They were a great rebounding team as well as well as a great transition team. Um, Duke Gonzaga just not had that ability to take people. So I think that the you know I did a podcast with John Gallagher and he's like, look, I watched the Iowa State game and Iowa State went pushed up and went under. I think that's the way you got to play them because once they get into your defense they're just going to wreck you, completely wreck you. Mm. Um, but I also thought that they panicked offensively. Their offense yeah. wasn't designed for that type of speed, quickness and pressure. You have to have yeah. more back cuts. When they're not guarding Ayayi, he's got to be he's got to find more places where he can catch it to score or be more of a playmaker or find ways to help other guys get open. He did not. You know that means he has to handle the basketball fine. He's not not really comfortable versus pressure, but they used him to kind of rotate off him. So I just thought there were some things. Again, I don't know if it changes the ultimate outcome because Baylor was so much quicker, so much more explosive, and so so incredibly skilled. But I do think that it wouldn't have been as jarring. A holy crap, they can't get close to the nine in this game.
9: yeah- Yeah. No. One hundred percent. The only other thing I would I would add on that, Doug, is you know I think I underestimated just how great Baylor was defensively. And it's so funny because, you know, I even commented and tweeted during the Baylor Houston game, where there was a couple possessions where just, you know, Houston's just whipping the ball around. And, you know, we know Houston has incredible athletes and incredible players there. And they just could not get a, a, you know, a, a window of space. And so, you know, when I look back on the Houston game, I think it was easy in real time to say, oh, you know, Houston, they play in a bad conference. They they didn't play a single-digit seed the entire tournament. And it was like, no, Baylor was just really that good. Of course, there was no way to know that at that moment. But I think, you know, one, if you watch Baylor all year, you know how awesome they were. But two... I didn't think anybody could lock down Gonzaga the way that they did. And the one thing I would say coming out of last night is, you know, we both love this sport, but there are some years where you feel like, okay, well this team won, but if they had had to play that team or that team got upset or this team had an injury right before the tournament, whatever, this year – we got I believe the two best teams definitively in the sport and one team was clearly better. And I you know, I enjoyed coming out of last night knowing, hey, Baylor was the best team. There is no doubt
4: about it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I I'm I'm o I'm okay with it. Okay, so let's get to the other stories. Um let's go to the other these other big jobs. Hubert Davis, who's a friend and incredible human being, is the head coach North Carolina, and he said You can't do this job unless you're a Carolina guy. So not going outside the family even to hire assistants. Will it work at North Carolina?
9: (laughs) So, again, I know this is your show. You bring me on as a guest. Really quickly, I just want your quick opinion on, do you think, to me, North Carolina is, at worst, the second best job in the country and probably the best job in the country. And I do think that there are calls that you can make that that they won't pick up for anybody else. Uh, but they'll pick up to hear North Carolina's pitch. Do you think that there was any chance that if they really pushed all their chips in the middle, they could get one of these elite, elite, elite guys to leave where they're at? Because I love the Hubert Davis hire and we can get into it, but go ahead. What were you going to
4: say? No, no, I don't. I I don't, I don't think so. I think you're going to fall. And I know they haven't been good the last couple of years. Uh, You're going to fall Roy Williams and you're not a Carolina guy. Like it's just, it's really hard when all of a sudden, the second you hit, what happens is if they, give me a, give me a guy who you have in mind.
9: Okay. So let's, I'll just throw a hypothetical. Billy Donovan, second NBA job. He gets fired here. You know, is there a chance that for the right money, he comes back? Let's just use him as a hypothetical.
4: Be interesting. Um, I don't think so. One, because he's right in the middle of his first season right? Like just the reality of it. I don't think he, I don't, I don't think, I think Roy Williams leaving and some of the things he said when he left college, when, when, when you get to the NBA and you're solidly in the NBA, you don't want to do it. Like the recruiting's worse now, not better because now you can Mm -hmm. sign a player, have him signed national letter of intent, ready to go. And then the G league select thing, come and go, Hey, we're going to pay a couple hundred grand to skip college. And the guy can go like deuces. I'm out now. You, now you took a you took a kid he leaves you can't just go find another recruit because if you find another recruit you've already told him no because you took somebody else so sure. I, I NBA guys generally know I I don't think so okay give me another one
9: Jay Wright, Villanova guy I get it but you you give him 7 years fill in the blank million per year guaranteed he 0% chance he even listen
4: but why? What's the why, why? Would you have you have you moved? You've moved. You grew up in Connecticut. Of you course. live in L.A. Okay, now be a grown-up and be one place for fifteen, twenty years. Like, hey, do you want to move? You're like, yeah. But you can win a national championship. Like, I <laughs> yeah, can already win a national championship.
9: Sure. No, it's fair. It's fair. All right. So Hubert Davis. I mean, like you said, once it was clear that they were going to keep it in the family, that those guys, frankly, probably weren't going to listen um you know what i would say is I, I like it i mean when you like you said i've, I've had limited but conversations with him i enjoyed him as a dude i think he's uh, you know just a you know really really great guy uh, but beyond that what i would just say is look there were no great candidates quote unquote in the family there was a guy for people who don't know unc greensboro west miller played there he's been yes. a head coach for 10 years two ncaa tournaments
4: and yes, so that would have that made sense yes you're, you're yeah, also like, you're also like let's let's do elephant in the room here, right? First black coach in North Carolina history. They were the first team to have a uh, they were the they were the first team to have a a, uh, a black player in the ACC. And Charlie Scott, who's a Hall of Famer, is a great player. Like he's a Carolina guy. I I don't you, we'd be idiots if we said that. North Carolina can hire Wes Miller, who is a, is a good, solid player and is an excellent coach and a Carolina guy and turn down Hubert Davis, who is a great player, a great person is on the staff and happens to be black. Like I don't, there's just the reality of the times are no chance. They're going outside the family for some, for, for a white dude with no connections. And in comparison to Wes Miller, it's Hubert Davis, 10 times 10. I, now, do I think it works? I don't know. I don't. the knock against Hubert's going to be like, well, you're on staff and the recruiting has not been as good. Like what makes you. And I think Carolina, a school that traditionally recruits the best players in the country. Right. That's so like we're just and they've had the greatest head coaching, head coach recruiter in the country. I think that's where you're like, okay, recruiting is changing. It's it's more, not less competitive and your school is seen as kind of stale, and you're on the staff that's stale, that's a challenge. It's a big challenge, no question.
9: Zero doubt. Zero doubt. And he will have a good jumping-off point. They should have some good pieces back. And that is why, when you decide you're keeping it in the family, just hire Heber Davis. He's been on staff. He's young enough. Younger than the other candidate on staff, Steve Robinson. And he was the guy with Roy Williams in these homes, you know, selling all of the kids currently in the program. So I, I loved once he made that decision to bring him in. But I do think the questions are real. I mean, never been a head coach at any level. The one thing that I do like is at least he has been at the college level. Now, Mike Woodson at Indiana, I think he's done everything right so far in terms of retaining the right staff, bringing in the new new staff, etc., But Mike Woodson had never been at the college level at any point. And so at least with Hubert Davis, he's been around for a decade plus. He understands how it works. He understands what it's like to go to Peach Jam. He understands, you know, in June you're going to have to hang out around campus because some sophomore that you've never heard of wants to come and take a picture with you. That is always my biggest concern with the former player avenue is if they're coming from the NBA or they don't have the background in college basketball, I worry. But he at least has been at this level for many years. He's learned from one of the best. But – to your points, there are legitimate concerns as well.
4: Uh, which hire do you like better, Chris Beard at Texas um, or Porter Mosier at Oklahoma?
9: Ooh, that's a good one. So <laughs> so uh, uh, I would say I like the Chris Beard hire better, but I was in for you with Dan Beyer last week, and I made the argument, like, I think Oklahoma is quietly one of the best jobs in the country from this perspective. If you just make the tournament every year or or in the conversation, nobody bothers you. Like, Chris Beard now has a little bit of a brand. He's a Texas guy. Like, you know, he he left a a school in that conference because he believed that job was better, and they believed that they should be elevated past making the NCAA term. They should be making deep runs. Oklahoma, it's like, first of all, Porter Mosier, you know, I get – Build, uh, he could stay at Loyola, build Loyola into Gonzaga. It, that's never going to happen. And as Dan and I were talking about the other day, you know, now you're not only a coach that is expected to make the tournament, you're expected to win once you get there. So I always thought he would probably look around this off season. And I'm telling you, man, Oklahoma, you go in a normal season, 22 and 11, end up as a seven seed, losing the first round, man, those, you, you'll, you'll, you'll just have a rolling five-year extension for the rest of your life. So – I like the beard higher better, but like you know, as far as quality of life, comfort of life, you know, job security, I think Porter is on easy street here for the next fifteen, twenty years if he wants to be.
4: Okay. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I would I would say this. I think Oklahoma's a great job because you have Joe Castiglione and you've had pretty much every coach they've had has been successful. Like it fell apart sure. at the end of Capel's deal, but he, he was the number one CD had Blake Griffin. Uh, they got to Sweet Sixteen, and then he just he took he took some guys that were very very highly touted, but guys that, that kind of ruined his program. But he was successful. Kelvin was successful. Final Four. Uh, Billy Tubbs was successful, and Lon Kruger was successful. So yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a place that has good. The, the difference is, so Texas has a new arena. Obviously, they open mm-hmm. a year from now, so it's not for one more basketball season. Um, I mean, like, look, Texas is a better job because. You know, if you if you're if you got it going right, every kid in the state of Texas should. If they don't take pick Texas, it's Texas or Duke, Kentucky, Carolina, Kansas, uh-huh. UCLA, etc. Right? That's the and and I'm sure that's what Chris Beard is thinking, which is like, look, I we did we did a great job and we nearly won a national championship at Tech, but it's if if you have one or two more players, and the thought is you at Texas, you have one or two more players. Um I think it's a better job though than OU o- because n- neither do they 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 do they totally care about but it's definitely a destination job. OU is a little bit better than people think because the state of Oklahoma actually produces pretty good players and for the most part not all of them for the most part uh over the last 25 years they go to Oklahoma. Not all of them, but a lot of them choose Oklahoma ahead of you know some have gone out of state to Kansas Um, the rest are OU or OSU and OU is kind of a little bit of destination. Now I think Porter's challenge is going to be right now. Mike Boyden is seen as cool and Porter style, though successful is not seen as cool. And how does, how does that work Uh, in that part of the country where high school basketball is usually really, really up and down. But I I think the whole thing is interesting. All right. What about UCLA? Um, Is it just a tournament run or is there a legit bump and UCLA kind of quickly back in the fold among the elites?
9: I think it's somewhere in the middle. Um, first of all, you know, I got to say, you know, I criticized this guy when he was the head coach. I criticized him when Nevada hired him, and I think he's done a good job there. Most of those guys were guys that Steve Alford recruited. Now, Mick Cronin developed the heck out of him. Um, but, you know, one, I, I give credit to Steve Alford for, you know, bringing in those guys and, and Mick Cronin for identifying them. I think the big thing for me going forward is, you know, what does happen after – Some of those guys leave, you know, Mick Cronin is in on, you know, very highly rated kids. They have the best player in California coming next year, a kid named Peyton Watson. They got a kid from Sierra Canyon. That's a junior right now. And it's, it's going to be the challenge that you kind of just brought up with Carolina, Doug of yes, you recruit these elite players, but we saw him lose a guy to the G league this year. Uh, He was very publicly not happy about it. He did not take the higher road. Um, you know, and, and the guys that he got that he inherited from from Steve Alford, weirdly, while many of them were highly ranked, you know, they've kind of bought into that blue-collar, lunch-pail mentality, and frankly, they should. They didn't win when Steve Alford was there. So, I think to me, I, you know, I, I, I love Coach Crow and I love the direction that he has the program. I love how hard he had this team playing, uh, especially down the stretch. I think they were actually pretty good most of the year. They hit a little bump late with some injuries and stuff. My only concern is kind of what we always talk about when when these guys take these big jobs is recruiting those elite, elite players is just such a different deal, you know, especially when you're you're used to recruiting a different kind of player that understands, I'm going to come to campus for three or four years. I'm going to develop as a younger player. I'm not going to start. When you get those one-and-done kids, man, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Look at what happened in Kentucky this year. Where you got kids that that think that they're already in the NBA before they played a college game, and so I'm excited for Coach Cronin. I think he's the right guy, but I'm going to be very curious to see as as some of the Steve Alford guys get out and these highly these high profile kids come in, can you kind of keep again that blue you know blue collar lunch pail mentality as the recruiting picks up?
4: Yeah, no, no. I mean, Kenya, it's the old our kind of guys thing, right? That's what they say in college chips. Sure. Can you recruit your kind of guys. So that you have the same sort of culture, just a little bit more talent, which makes you allows you to make a couple more baskets. It's a, it's definitely a challenge. Those are first world problems, but those are the problems <laughs> w- when when you win. Aaron Torres, check out the Aaron Torres podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Of course, you can listen to him on weekends with Arnie Spanner here on Fox Sports Radio. At thanks so much, dude.
5: Doug, thank you, man. Have a good afternoon. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio
4: app. This is all-time great nap weekend. Don't you think? Like, nap in front of the TV weekend where you don't feel bad. Like, the Masters is unbelievable napping. I I think he's got a three-wood, Jim. Yes, he's got a three-wood. It's it's, going to be... That's a tough up and down from there. Yes. When a train hits a vehicle at a railway crossing, the results are often deadly because of crossings. If the signals are going, don't be tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Even if you don't see a train stop, trains can't. Brought to you by Nitsa. So I, I do this all the time. Like, here's one. Name a college football player for next season. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm waiting. Can you name one? Name a college football player for next season. Now, you may have one or two in your mind, but there's so many big-name, talented quarterbacks that everybody knows about that are coming out this year, most people have no idea who they are. And I I understand fully this the way in which we sell stories in the media leads you to believe something that you, you believe and you know to be true is in fact true, and it's not that true. What we report in the media constantly is these schools make billions off their athletes. Okay, that sounds powerful. Sounds really powerful. Um, here's the thing. Schools make money off of all of their students. That's the first thing you have to, if you knew how much money they were making off of every student and then measured up in comparison to what they're making off the athletes in considering how much they're spending on the athletes, you're like, that's kind of, that can be kind of a bad deal. Yeah. But it allows them, even if you're not making a ton of money off of your sport, what allows them to do is you have the pomp and the circumstance and you bring in the donors and you get more money, show them around campus, have them watch a football game, meet with the president, shake them down for some money. Hey, we'll put your name up on a building. That's where the real money is. The real money is in the number of students. And heck, if you wanna do it online, even better. Now we don't have to pay for a teacher to come in, whatever, you know? But number of students, especially on campus, because now we can, uh, everything that they charge you for when you come to school. They upcharge you on, right? It's like going to New York. You guys ever been to New York recently? Ah, uh, you know what? I'm in New York. I really want a hot dog. That's $4. For a hot dog? All right, I want a Snapple. It's $5. For a Snapple? I want a slice of pizza. Now, there are 99 cents slice of pizza places. Those are cheese. Throw some pepperonis on, right? Do pepperonis really cost a dollar for four pepperonis? No, but that's what they charge you for them. That's what college is like. Everything is an upcharge. Your dorm, your room, your books, your tutoring, blah 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 blah. They make money off other of students, and yeah, the contracts have three commas. They're also for twenty years for fourteen schools. You know, like do the math. It's not what you think it is. But I've I've long contended that the NCAA's entire argument is flawed. Instead of saying we don't pay players at all, they said like look. look The compensation is in getting into college, supporting while you're in college in both your athletic endeavors and your academic endeavors. And what we can really do is we can build up your brand and it can become synonymous with our brand. Jalen Suggs is a perfect example. How many of you had heard of Gonzaga basketball before last night, before this weekend? I'm going to guess most all of you. Did you know who the head coach was? Probably. Did you know Adam Morrison, former player? Yes. How many other foreign players? Dan Dickow, maybe like who else am I forgetting? Did Zach Collins play there? Is he still in the NBA? Yes. Yes. The rest of them are just like, Hey, they had a bunch of white guys that could shoot. Like they weren't out. Roni tourneyoff Wasn't white. Jeremy Pargo. Wasn't white. There's Nigel Williams golf. Wasn't white, but whatever you're, you're mostly, you're, you're more right than you are Wrong. Got it. That's when you think of good you're like Gonzaga, Dan Dickow, Adam Morrison, white guys, Mark view, Washington. That's all I know. That's their brand. Playing a small conference. Every year we question whether they can play in the, against the big conferences. They do to some, some extent to a very high level of success. Now you enter in Jalen Suggs. Did you know who Jalen Suggs was before this weekend? Ask yourself, be honest with me. Most of you are like, I had no idea. Did you know he's from Minnesota? He played quarterback in high school. Did you know anything? No. Now you're like, I love this kid. Same with Baylor. Did you know who Davion Mitchell was before last night? Did you really? You're like, nah, I didn't really know. And now you're like, oh, Davion Mitchell? Yeah, I know him. You know, he went to Auburn and then he's at Baylor. You know, barely played at Auburn. By the way, he leaves Auburn. They go to the national championship game. That's that's the The year he's sitting out. That had to be hard to sit there and watch. And then this year, he leads the country in three-point percentage after struggling to shoot his freshman year at Auburn. Leads the country in field goal percentage, minutes per game. Game started. And uh, he leads his team in scoring. Right? and And he's an incredible defender. And so you just sit there and go like, I had no idea. I didn't know his story. I didn't know where he's from. I still don't know anything. Why did he leave Auburn? All these other things. So it's just, it's interesting to me on how the NCA doesn't do a good enough job of, yet not only do you have no student loan, no student debt, and do you get all the proper training, the, the real value is in the promotion. It's in the promotion. So that if the second you stop working, you don't even have to be one of these known guys. The second you stop playing basketball and you're like, Hey, I want to go get a job. You go apply for a job. Like, Oh, you play ball? You play basketball. Oh, you got, you play the national championship. I love that team. What are those guys doing now? What was that like? Was not that during a pandemic? Huh? That's how you get a job. That's how it actually works. And, and Jalen Suggs is the perfect embodiment of it. You know? He is now a household name because of one great pass, a block shot, a pass, and an incredible shot. Household name. Should he have been a household name anyway because of his talents? Of course. But that's not the way the world works. We need a reason. The players in the G League are better than the players in college basketball. We have no reason to watch the G League. Nothing really decided by the G League. So you can tell me I'm wrong, but you know I'm not. And that's kind of end of story. End of story. Here's Scott Drew after the game last night. God has
6: blessed us with unbelievable players, the people that have come for 18 years to put in work, our fans that have been with us for the lean years, the good years, and our administration, President Livingstone, Mac Rhodes. They all deserve this. The city of Waco deserves this. Hey, right, Texas, we've got a national championship too. The state deserves it.
4: Yeah, I don't know about Texas deserving. it. Do you guys be like, no, 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 Texas, no. Because <laughs> you know what, Texas, Texas suffers from a lot of insecurity. they not a lot of confidence in the state of Texas from Texas. Yeah, they don't really believe in themselves. They don't think of themselves as special. So that's good that they have something. I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. Texas needs no help. Zero. Zero help. Um, But look, my my takeaway from last night's game is uh, I I think it's reasonable to to wonder what UCLA would have been like had they not had to just survive UCLA, you know, a night and a half before, two nights before. I think it's reasonable to wonder what Gonzaga would have been like had Jalen Suggs not picked up early fouls. Reasonable. But I also think it's reasonable to ask ourselves, well, what would Gonzaga have looked like if they played in the Big 12, if they played in the Big 10, if they played in the SEC in terms of playing against like athletic competition all season long, would they have had a couple of losses? And the answer is, we don't know, but we can suspect they probably would have. And sometimes the things you're able to get away with against a lower caliber of team um, gets exposed only at the highest caliber. That's what I thought happened to their defense. Their defense was good and fine all year, but it wasn't elite, and now you go against elite athletes who are well-coached and space you and they're smart kids, and they just tore it apart. Tore it completely and totally apart.
5: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific.